Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can get rewards by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash downtosleep. You get access to two new readings every single week. There are also complete and full audiobooks to download, read by me, such as Coraline and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and many more. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and find it useful. Chapter 5. Blood Type I made my way to English in a daze. I didn't even realise when I first walked in that class had already started. Thank you for joining us, Miss Swan, Mr. Mason said in a disparaging tone. I flushed and hurried to my seat. It wasn't till class ended that I realised Mike wasn't sitting in his usual seat next to me. I felt a twinge of guilt, but he and Eric both met me at the door as usual, so I figured I wasn't totally unforgiven. Mike seemed to become more himself as we walked, gaining enthusiasm as he talked about the weather report for the weekend. The rain was supposed to take a minor break, and so maybe his beach trip would be possible. I tried to sound eager to make up for disappointing him yesterday. It was hard. Rain or no rain, it would still only be in the high forties if we were lucky. The rest of the morning passed in a blur, it was difficult to believe that I hadn't just imagined what Edward had said, the way his eyes had looked. Maybe it was just a very convincing dream that I'd confused with reality. That seemed more probable than that I really appealed to him on any level. So I was impatient and frightened as Jessica and I entered the cafeteria. I wanted to see his face, to see if he had gone back to the cold, indifferent person I'd known for the last several weeks. Or if by some miracle I had really heard what I thought I'd heard this morning. Jessica babbled on and on about her dance plans. Lauren and Angela had asked the other boys, and they were all going together, completely unaware of my inattention. Disappointment flooded through me as my eyes unerringly focused on his table. The other four were there, but he was absent. Had he gone home? I followed the still babbling Jessica through the line, crushed. I had lost my appetite. I bought nothing but a bottle of lemonade. I just wanted to sit down and sulk. Edward Cullen is staring at you again, Jessica said finally breaking through my abstraction with his name. I wonder why he's sitting alone today. My head snapped up. I followed her gaze to see Edward, smiling crookedly, staring at me from an empty table across the cafeteria, from where he usually sat. Once he'd caught my eye, he raised one hand and motioned with his index finger for me to join him. As I stared in disbelief, he winked. Does he mean you? Jessica asked with insulting astonishment in her voice. Maybe he needs help with his biology homework, I muttered, for her benefit. Um, I'd better go see what he wants. I could feel her staring after me as I walked away. When I reached his table, I stood behind the chair across from him, unsure. Why don't you sit with me today? he asked smiling. I sat down automatically, watching him with caution. He was still smiling. It was hard to believe that someone so beautiful could be real. I was afraid he might disappear in a sudden puff of smoke and I would wake up. He seemed to be waiting for me to say something. This is different, I finally managed. Well... He paused, and then the rest of the words followed in a rush. I decided as long as I was going to hell, I might as well do it thoroughly. I waited for him to say something that made sense. The seconds ticked by. You know, I don't have any idea what you mean, I eventually pointed out. I know. He smiled again, and then he changed the subject. I think your friends are angry with me for stealing you. They'll survive. I could feel their stares boring into my back. 
I may not give you back, though, he said, with a wicked glint in his eyes. I gulped. He laughed. You look worried. No, I said, but ridiculously my voice broke. Surprised, actually. What brought all this on? I told you. I got tired of trying to stay away from you, so I'm giving up. He was still smiling, but his ochre eyes were serious. Giving up? I repeated in confusion. Yes, giving up trying to be good. I'm just going to do what I want now. Let the chips fall where they may. His smile faded as he explained, and a hard edge crept into his voice. You lost me again. The breathtaking, crooked smile reappeared. I always say too much when I'm talking to you. That's one of the problems. Don't worry, I don't understand any of it, I said wryly. I'm counting on that. So, in plain English, are we friends now? Friends, he mused, dubious. Or not, I muttered. He grinned. Well, we can try, I suppose, but I'm warning you now that I'm not a good friend for you. Behind his smile, the warning was real. You say that a lot, I noted, trying to ignore the sudden trembling in my stomach and keep my voice even. Yes, because you're not listening to me. I'm still waiting for you to believe it. If you're smart, you'll avoid me. I think you've made your opinion on the subject of my intellect clear, too. My eyes narrowed. He smiled apologetically. So as long as I'm being not smart, we'll try to be friends? I struggled to sum up the confusing exchange. That sounds about right. I looked down at my hands wrapped around the lemonade bottle, not sure what to do. What are you thinking? he asked curiously. I looked up into his deep gold eyes, became befuddled, and as usual, blurted out the truth. I'm trying to figure out what you are. His jaw tightened, but he kept his smile in place with some effort. Are you having any luck with that? he asked, in an offhand tone. Not too much, I admitted. He chuckled. What are your theories? I blushed. I had been vacillating during the last month between Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker. There was no way I was going to own up to that. Won't you tell me, he asked, tilting his head to one side with a shockingly tempting smile. I shook my head. Too embarrassing. That's really frustrating, you know, he complained. No, I disagreed quickly, my eyes narrowing. I can't imagine why that would be frustrating at all. Just because someone refuses to tell you what they're thinking, even if all the while they're making cryptic little remarks, specifically designed to keep you up at night wondering what they could possibly mean. Now why would that be frustrating? He grimaced. Or better, I continued, the pent-up annoyance flowing freely now. Say that person also did a wide range of bizarre things from saving your life under impossible circumstances one day to treating you like a pariah the next. And he never explained any of that, either, even after he promised. That also would be very non-frustrating. You've got a bit of a temper, don't you? I don't like double standards. We stared at each other, unsmiling. He glanced over my shoulder and then... Unexpectedly, he snickered. What? Your boyfriend seems to think I'm being unpleasant to you. He's debating whether or not to come break up our fight. He snickered again. I don't know who you're talking about, I said frostily. But I'm sure you're wrong anyway. I'm not. I told you. Most people are easy to read. Except me, of course. Yes. 
except for you. His mood shifted suddenly, his eyes turned brooding. I wonder why that is. I had to look away from the intensity of his stare. I concentrated on unscrewing the lid of my lemonade. I took a swig, staring at the table without seeing it. Aren't you hungry? he asked, distracted. No. I didn't feel like mentioning that my stomach was already full of butterflies. You? I looked at the empty table in front of him. No. I'm not hungry. I didn't understand his expression. It looked like he was enjoying some private joke. Can you do me a favor? I asked after a second of hesitation. He was suddenly wary. That depends on what you want. It's not much, I assured him. He waited, guarded but curious. I just wondered if you could warn me beforehand the next time you decide to ignore me for my own good, just so I'm prepared. I looked at the lemonade bottle as I spoke, tracing the circle of the opening with my pinky finger. That sounds fair. He was pressing his lips together to keep from laughing when I looked up. Thanks. Then can I have one answer in return, he demanded. One. Tell me one theory. Whoops. Not that one. You didn't qualify, you just promised one answer, he reminded me. And you've broken promises yourself, I reminded him back. Just one theory. I won't laugh. Yes, he will. I was positive about that. He looked down and then glanced up at me through his long black lashes, his ochre eyes scorching. Please, he breathed, leaning towards me. I blinked, my mind going blank. Holy crow, how did he do that? Uh, what? I asked, dazed. Please, tell me just one little theory. His eyes still smoldered at me. Um, well, bitten by a radioactive spider? Was he a hypnotist too, or was I just a hopeless pushover? That's not very creative, he scoffed. I'm sorry, that's all I've got. I was miffed. You're not even close, he teased. No spiders? Nope. And no radioactivity? None. Dang. I sighed. Kryptonite doesn't bother me either. He chuckled. You're not supposed to laugh, remember? He struggled to compose his face. I'll figure it out eventually, I warned him. I wish you wouldn't try. He was serious again. Because... What if I'm not a superhero? What if I'm the bad guy? He smiled playfully, but his eyes were impenetrable. Oh, I said as several things he'd hinted fell suddenly into place. I see. Do you? His face was abruptly severe, as if he were afraid he'd accidentally said too much. You're dangerous, I guessed, my pulse quickening as I intuitively realized the truth of my own words. He was dangerous. He'd been trying to tell me that all along. He just looked at me, eyes full of some emotion I couldn't comprehend. But not bad, I whispered, shaking my head. No, I, I don't believe that you're bad. You're wrong. His voice was almost inaudible. He looked down, stealing my bottle lid and spinning it on its side between his fingers. I stared at him, wondering why I didn't feel afraid. He meant what he was saying, that was obvious, but I just felt anxious, on edge, and more than anything else, fascinated, the same way that I always felt when I was near him. The silence lasted until I noticed that the cafeteria was almost empty. I jumped to my feet, 
We're going to be late. I'm not going to class today, he said, twirling the lid so fast it was just a blur. Why not? It's healthy to ditch class now and then. He smiled up at me, but his eyes were still troubled. Well, I'm going, I told him. I was far too big of a coward to risk getting caught. He turned his attention back to his makeshift top. I'll see you later then. I hesitated, torn, but then the first bell sent me hurrying out the door. With a last glance, confirming that he hadn't moved a centimeter. As I half ran to class, my head was spinning faster than the bottle cap. So few questions had been answered in comparison to how many new questions had been raised. At least the rain had stopped. I was lucky. Mr. Banner wasn't in the room yet when I arrived. I settled quickly into my seat, aware that both Mike and Angela were staring at me. Mike looked resentful. Angela looked surprised and slightly awed. Mr. Banner came in the room then, calling the class to order. He was juggling a few small cardboard boxes in his arms. He put them down on Mike's table, telling him to start passing them around the class. Okay, guys, I want you all to take one piece from each box, he said, as he produced a pair of rubber gloves from the pocket of his lab jacket and pulled them on. The sharp sound as the gloves snapped into place against his wrists seemed ominous to me. The first should be an indicator card, he went on, grabbing a white card with four squares marked on it and displaying it. The second is a four-pronged applicator. He held up something that looks like a nearly toothless hair pick. And the third is a sterile micro-lancet. He held up a small piece of blue plastic and split it open. The barb was invisible from this distance, but my stomach flipped. I'll be coming around with a dropper of water to prepare your cards, so please don't start until I get to you. He began at Mike's table again, carefully putting one drop of water in each of the four squares. I want you to carefully prick your fingers with the lancet. He grabbed Mike's hand and jabbed the spike into the tip of Mike's middle finger. Oh no. Clammy moisture broke out across my forehead. Put a small drop of blood on each of the prongs. He demonstrated, squeezing Mike's finger until the blood flowed. I swallowed convulsively, my stomach heaving. And then apply it to the card, he finished, holding up the dripping red card for us to see. I closed my eyes, trying to hear through the ringing in my ears. The Red Cross is having a blood drive in Port Angeles next weekend, so I thought you should all know your blood type. He sounded proud of himself. Those of you who aren't 18 yet will need parents' permission. I have slips at my desk. He continued through the room with his water drops. I put my cheek against the cool black tabletop and tried to hold on to my consciousness. All around me I could hear squeals, complaints, and giggles as my classmates skewered their fingers. I breathed slowly in and out through my mouth. Bella, are you all right? Mr. Banner asked. His voice was close to my head, and it sounded alarmed. I already know my blood type, Mr. Banner, I said in a weak voice. I was afraid to raise my head. Are you feeling faint? Yes, sir, I muttered, internally kicking myself for not ditching when I had the chance. Can someone take Bella to the nurse, please, he called. I didn't have to look up to know that it would be Mike who volunteered. Can you walk? Mr. Banner asked. Yes, I whispered. Just let me get out of here, I thought. I'll crawl. Mike seemed eager as he put his arm around my waist and pulled my arm over his shoulder. I leaned against him heavily on the way out of the classroom. Mike towed me slowly across campus. When we were around the edge of the cafeteria, out of sight of building four in case Mr. Banner was watching, I stopped. 
Just let me sit for a minute, please, I begged. He helped me sit on the edge of the walk. Whatever you do, keep your hand in your pocket, I warned. I was still so dizzy. I slumped over on my side, putting my cheek against the freezing, damp cement of the sidewalk, closing my eyes. That seemed to help a little. Wow, you're, you're green, Bella, Mike said nervously. Bella? A different voice called from the distance. No, please let me be imagining that horribly familiar voice. What's wrong, is she hurt? His voice was closer now and he sounded upset. I wasn't imagining it. I squeezed my eyes shut, hoping to die, or at the very least not to throw up. Mike seemed stressed. I think she's fainted. I don't know what happened. She didn't even stick her finger. Bella. Edward's voice was right beside me, relieved now. Can you hear me? No, I groaned. Go away. He chuckled. I was taking her to the nurse, Mike explained in a defensive tone, but she wouldn't go any further. I'll take her, Edward said. I could hear the smile still in his voice. You can go back to class. No, Mike protested. I I'm supposed to do it. Suddenly the sidewalk disappeared from beneath me. My eyes flew open in shock. Edward had scooped me up in his arms as easily as if I weighed ten pounds instead of a hundred and ten. Put me down. Please, please let me not vomit on him. He was walking before I was finished talking. Hey, Mike called already ten paces behind us. Edward ignored him. You look awful, he told me, grinning. Put me back on the sidewalk, I moaned. The rocking movement of his walk was not helping. He held me away from his body gingerly, supporting all of my weight with just his arms. It didn't seem to bother him. So, you faint at the sight of blood, he asked. This seemed to entertain him. I didn't answer. I closed my eyes again and fought the nausea with all my strength, clamping my lips together. And not even your own blood, he continued, enjoying himself. I don't know how he opened the door while carrying me, but it was suddenly warm, so I knew we were inside. Oh my... I heard a female voice gasp. She fainted in biology, Edward explained. I opened my eyes. I was in the office and Edward was striding past the front counter toward the nurse's door. Miss Cope, the red-headed front office receptionist, ran ahead of him to hold it open. The grandmotherly nurse looked up from a novel, astonished, as Edward swung me into the room and placed me gently on the crackly paper that covers those brown vinyl mattresses on the one cot. He moved to stand against the wall as far across the narrow room as possible. His eyes were bright, excited. She's just a little faint, he reassured the startled nurse. They're blood typing in biology. The nurse nodded sagely. There's always one. He muffled a snicker. Just lie down for a minute, honey. It'll pass. I know. I sighed. The nausea was already fading. Does this happen a lot? She asked. Sometimes, I admitted. Edward coughed to hide another laugh. You can go back to class now, she told him. I'm supposed to stay with her. He said this with such assured authority that, even though she pursed her lips, the nurse didn't argue it further. I'll go get you some ice for your forehead, dear, she said to me, and bustled out of the room. You were right, I moaned, letting my eyes close. I usually am, but about what in particular this time? Ditching is healthy. I practiced breathing evenly. You scared me for a minute there, he admitted, after a pause. His tone made it sound like he was confessing a humiliating weakness. 
I thought Newton was dragging your dead body off to bury it in the woods. Huh. I still had my eyes closed, but I was feeling more normal every minute. Honestly, I've seen corpses with better color. I was concerned that I might have to avenge your murder. Poor Mike. I'll bet he's mad. He absolutely loathes me, Edward said cheerfully. You can't know that, I argued. Then I wondered suddenly if he could. I saw his face. I could tell. How did you see me? I thought you were ditching. I was almost fine now, though the queasiness would probably pass faster if I'd eaten something for lunch. On the other hand, maybe I was lucky that my stomach was empty. I was in my car, listening to a CD. Such a normal response, it surprised me. I heard the door open and opened my eyes to see the nurse with a cold compress in her hand. Here you go, dear. She laid it across my forehead. You're looking better, she added. I think I'm fine, I said, sitting up. Just a little ringing in my ears, there was no spinning. The mint green walls stayed where they should. I could see she was about to make me lie back down, but the door opened just then, and Miss Cope stuck her head in. We've got another one, she warned. I hopped down to free up the cot for the next invalid. I handed the compress back to the nurse. Here, I, I don't need this. And then Mike staggered through the door, now supporting a sallow-looking Lee Stevens, another boy in our biology class. Edward and I drew back against the wall to give them room. Oh no, Edward muttered. Go out to the office, Bella. I looked up at him, bewildered. Trust me, go. I spun and caught the door before it closed, darting out of the infirmary. I could feel Edward right behind me. You actually listened to me. He was stunned. I smelled the blood, I said, wrinkling my nose. Lee wasn't sick from watching other people like me. People can't smell blood, he contradicted. Well, I can. That's what makes me sick. It smells like rust and salt. He was staring at me with an unfathomable expression. What? I asked. It's nothing. Mike came through the door then, glancing from me to Edward. The look that he gave Edward confirmed what Edward had said about loathing. He looked back at me, his eyes glum. You look better, he accused. Just keep your hands in your pocket, I warned him again. It's not bleeding anymore, he muttered. Are you going back to class? Are you kidding? I'd just have to turn around and come back. Yeah, I guess. So are you going this weekend? To the beach? While he spoke, he flashed another glare towards Edward, who was standing against the cluttered counter, motionless as a sculpture, staring off into space. I tried to sound as friendly as possible. Sure, I said I was in. We're meeting at my dad's store at ten. His eyes flickered to Edward again, wondering if he was giving too much information. His body language made it clear that it wasn't an open invitation. I'll be there, I promised. I'll see you in gym then, he said, moving uncertainly towards the door. See you, I replied. He looked at me once more, his round face slightly pouting, and then as he walked slowly through the door, his shoulders slumped. A swell of sympathy washed over me. I pondered seeing his disappointed face again in Jim. Jim, I groaned. I can take care of that. I hadn't noticed Edward moving to my side, but he spoke now in my ear. Go sit down and look pale, he muttered. That wasn't a challenge. I was always pale and... My recent swoon had left me a light sheen of sweat on my face. I sat in one of the creaky folding chairs and rested my head against the wall with my eyes closed. 
fainting spells always exhausted me. I heard Edward speaking softly at the counter. Miss Cope. Yes? I hadn't heard her return to her desk. Bella has Jim next hour, and I don't think she feels well enough. Actually, I was thinking I should take her home now. Do you think you could excuse her from class? His voice was like melting honey. I could imagine how much more overwhelming his eyes would be. Do you need to be excused to Edward? Miss Cope fluttered. Why couldn't I do that? No, I have Mrs. Goff. She won't mind. Okay, it's all taken care of. You feel better, Bella? She called out to me. I nodded weakly, hamming it up just a bit. Can you walk, or do you want me to carry you again? With his back to the receptionist, his expression became sarcastic. I'll walk. I stood carefully, and I was still fine. He held the door for me, his smile polite, but his eyes mocking. I walked out into the cold, fine mist that had just begun to fall. It felt nice. The first time I'd enjoyed the constant moisture falling out of the sky, as it washed my face clean of the sticky perspiration. Thanks, I said as he followed me out. It's almost worth getting sick to miss Jim. Any time. He was staring straight forward, squinting into the rain. So, are you going? This Saturday, I mean? I was hoping he would, though it seemed unlikely. I couldn't picture him loading up to carpool with the rest of the kids from school. He didn't belong in the same world. But just hoping that he might gave me the first twinge of enthusiasm I'd felt for the outing. Where are you all going, exactly? He was still looking ahead, expressionless. Down to La Push, to First Beach. I studied his face, trying to read it. His eyes seemed to narrow infinitesimally. He glanced down at me from the corner of his eye, smiling wryly. I really don't think I was invited. I sighed. I just invited you. Let's you and I not push poor Mike any further this week. We don't want him to snap. His eyes danced. He was enjoying the idea more than he should. Mike Schmike, I muttered, preoccupied by the way he'd said, you and I. I liked it more than I should. We were near the parking lot now. I veered left toward my truck. Something caught my jacket, yanking me back. Where do you think you're going? he asked, outraged. He was gripping a fistful of my jacket in one hand. I was confused. I'm going home. Didn't you hear me promise to take you safely home? Do you think I'm going to let you drive in your condition? His voice was still indignant. What condition? And what about my truck? I complained. I'll have Alice drop it off after school. He was towing me towards his car now, pulling me by my jacket. It was all I could do to keep from falling backward. He'd probably just drag me along anyway if I did. Let go, I insisted. He ignored me. I staggered along sideways across the wet sidewalk until we reached the Volvo. Then he finally freed me. I stumbled against the passenger door. You are so pushy, I grumbled. It's open, was all he responded. He got in the driver's side. I am perfectly capable of driving myself home. I stood by the car, fuming. It was raining, harder now. I'd never put my hood back up, so my hair was dripping down my back. He lowered the automatic window and leaned towards me across the seat. Get in, Bella. I didn't answer. I was mentally calculating my chances of reaching the truck before he could catch me. I had to admit, they weren't good. I'll just drag you back, he threatened, guessing my plan. I tried to maintain what dignity I could as I got into his car. I wasn't very successful. 
I looked like a half-drowned cat, and my boots squeaked. This is completely unnecessary, I said stiffly. He didn't answer. He fiddled with the controls, turning the heater up and the music down. As he pulled out of the parking lot, I was preparing to give him the silent treatment. My face was in full pout mode. But then I recognized the music playing, and my curiosity got the better of my intentions. Claire de Lune? I asked, surprised. You know Debussy? He sounded surprised too. Not well, I admitted. My mother plays a lot of classical music around the house. I only know my favorites. It's one of my favorites too. He stared out through the rain, lost in thought. I listened to the music, relaxing against the light gray leather seat. It was impossible not to respond to the familiar soothing melody. The rain blurred everything outside the window into gray and green smudges. I began to realize we were driving very fast. The car moved so steadily, so evenly, though, I didn't feel the speed. Only the town flashing by gave it away. What's your mother like? he asked me suddenly. I glanced over to see him studying me with curious eyes. She looks a lot like me, but she's prettier, I said. He raised his eyebrows. I have too much Charlie in me. She's more outgoing than I am, and braver. She's irresponsible, slightly eccentric, and she's a very unpredictable cook. She's my best friend. I stopped. Talking about her was making me depressed. How old are you, Bella? His voice sounded frustrated for some reason I couldn't imagine. He'd stopped the car, and I realized we were at Charlie's house already. The rain was so heavy, I could barely see the house at all. It was like the car was submerged under a river. I'm seventeen, I responded, a little confused. You don't seem seventeen. His tone was reproachful. It made me laugh. What? he asked, curious again. My mum always says I was born thirty-five years old, that I get more middle-aged every year. I laughed, and then sighed. Well, someone has to be the adult. I paused for a second. You don't seem much like a junior in high school yourself, I noted. He made a face and changed the subject. So, why did your mother marry Phil? I was surprised he would remember the name. I'd mentioned it just once, almost two months ago. It took me a moment to answer. My mother, she's very young for her age. I think Phil makes her feel even younger. At any rate, she's crazy about him. I shook my head. The attraction was a mystery to me. Do you approve? he asked. Does it matter? I counted. I want her to be happy, and he is who she wants. That's very generous. I wonder, he mused. What? Would she extend the same courtesy to you, do you think? No matter who your choice was. He was suddenly intent, his eyes searching mine. I think so, I stuttered. But she's the parent, after all, it's a little bit different. No one too scary, then, he teased. I grinned in response. What do you mean by scary? Multiple facial piercings and extensive tattoos? That's one definition, I suppose. What's your definition? But he ignored my question and asked me another. Do you think that I could be scary? He raised one eyebrow. The faint trace of a smile lightened his face. I thought for a moment, wondering whether the truth or a lie would go over better. I decided to go with the truth. Hmm, I think you could be, if you wanted to. 
Are you frightened of me now? The smile vanished, and his heavenly face was suddenly serious. No, but I answered too quickly. The smile returned. So now are you going to tell me about your family? I asked to distract him. It's got to be a much more interesting story than mine. He was instantly cautious. What do you want to know? The Cullens adopted you? I verified. Yes. I hesitated for a moment. What happened to your parents? They died many years ago. His tone was matter-of-fact. I'm sorry, I mumbled. I don't really remember them that clearly. Carlisle and Esme have been my parents for a long time now. And you love them. It wasn't a question. It was obvious in the way that he spoke of them. Yes, he smiled. I couldn't imagine two better people. You're very lucky. I know I am. And your brother and sister? He glanced at the clock on the dashboard. My brother and sister, and Jasper and Rosalie, for that matter, are going to be quite upset if they have to stand in the rain waiting for me. Oh, sorry. I guess you have to go. I didn't want to get out of the car. And you probably want your truck back before Chief Swan gets home, so you don't have to tell him about the biology incident. He grinned at me. I'm sure he's already heard. There are no secrets in Forks, I sighed. He laughed. There was an edge to his laughter. Have fun at the beach. Good weather for sunbathing. He glanced out at the sheeting rain. Won't I see you tomorrow? No. Emmett and I are starting the weekend early. What are you going to do? A friend could ask that, right? I hoped the disappointment wasn't too apparent in my voice. We're going to be hiking in the Goat Rocks wilderness just south of Rainier. I remember Charlie had said the Cullens went camping frequently. Oh, well, have fun. I tried to sound enthusiastic. I don't think I fooled him, though. A smile was playing around the edges of his lips. Will you do something for me this weekend? He turned to look me straight in the face, utilizing the full power of his burning gold eyes. I nodded helplessly. Don't be offended, but you seem to be one of those people who just attract accidents like a magnet, so try not to fall into the ocean or get run over or anything, all right? He smiled crookedly. The helplessness had faded as he spoke. I glared at him. I'll see what I can do. I snapped as I jumped out into the rain. I slammed the door behind me with excessive force. He was still smiling as he drove away. Chapter 6 Scary Stories As I sat in my room, trying to concentrate on the third act of Macbeth, I was really listening for my truck. I would have thought, even over the pounding rain, I could have heard the engines roar. But when I went to peek out the curtain again, it was suddenly there. I wasn't looking forward to Friday and it more than lived up to my non-expectations. Of course, there were the fainting comments. Jessica especially seemed to get a kick out of that story. Luckily, Mike had kept his mouth shut, and no one seemed to know about Edward's involvement. She did have a lot of questions about lunch, though. So, what did Edward Cullen want yesterday? Jessica asked in trig. I don't know, I answered truthfully. He never really got to the point. You looked kind of mad. She fished. Did I? I kept my expression blank. You know, I've never seen him sit with anyone but his family before. That was weird. Weird, I agreed. She seemed annoyed. She flipped her dark curls impatiently. I guessed she had been hoping to hear something that would make a good story for her to pass on. The worst part about Friday was that even though I knew he wasn't going to be there, I still hoped. When I walked into the cafeteria with Jessica and Mike, I couldn't keep from looking at his table, where Rosalie, Alice, and Jasper sat talking, heads close together. And I couldn't stop the gloom 
that engulfed me as I realized I didn't know how long I would have to wait before I saw him again. At my usual table, everyone was full of our plans for the next day. Mike was animated again, putting a great deal of trust in the local weatherman who promised sun tomorrow. I'd have to see that before I believed it. But it was warmer today, almost 60. Maybe the outing wouldn't be completely miserable. I intercepted a few unfriendly glances from Lauren during lunch, which I didn't understand until we were all walking out of the room together. I was right behind her, just a foot from her slick silver blonde hair, and she was evidently unaware of that. To know why Bella, she sneered my name, doesn't just sit with the Cullens from now on. I heard her muttering to Mike. I had never noticed what an unpleasant, nasal voice she had, and I was surprised by the malice in it. I really didn't know her well at all. Certainly not well enough for her to dislike me, or so I'd thought. She's my friend, she sits with us, Mike whispered back loyally, but also a bit territorially. I paused to let Jess and Angela pass me. I didn't want to hear any more. That night at dinner, Charlie seemed enthusiastic about my trip to the push in the morning. I think he felt guilty for leaving me home alone on the weekends, but he had spent too many years building his habits to break them now. Of course, he knew the names of all the kids going, and their parents, and their great-grandparents too, probably. He seemed to approve. I wondered if he would approve of my plan to ride to Seattle with Edward Cullen. Not that I was going to tell him. Dad, do you know a place called Goat Rocks or something like that? I think it's south of Mount Rainier, I asked casually. Yeah? Why? I shrugged. Some kids were talking about camping there. It's not a very good place for camping, he sounded surprised. Too many bears, as people go there during the hunting season. Oh, I murmured. Maybe I got the name wrong. I meant to sleep in, but an unusual brightness woke me. I opened my eyes to see a clear yellow light streaming through my window. I couldn't believe it. I hurried to the window to check, and sure enough, there was the sun. It was in the wrong place in the sky, too low, and it didn't seem to be as close as it should be, but it was definitely the sun. Clouds ringed the horizon, but a large patch of blue was visible in the middle. I lingered by the window as long as I could, afraid that if I left, the blue would disappear again. The Newton's Olympic Outfit Store was just north of town. I'd seen the store, but I'd never stopped there, not having much need for any supplies required for being outdoors over an extended period of time. In the parking lot, I recognized Mike's Suburban and Tyler's Sentra. As I pulled up next to their vehicles, I could see the group standing around in front of the Suburban. Eric was there, along with two other boys I had class with. I was fairly sure their names were Ben and Connor. Jess was there, flanked by Angela and Lauren. Three other girls stood with them, including one I remembered falling over in gym on Friday. That one gave me a dirty look as I got out the truck and whispered something to Lauren. Lauren shook out her corn silk hair and eyed me scornfully. So it was going to be one of those days. At least Mike was happy to see me. You came, he called, delighted. And I said it would be sunny, didn't I? I told you I was coming, I reminded him. We're just waiting for Leon Samantha, unless you invited someone, Mike added. Nope. I lied, lightly, hoping I wouldn't get caught in the lie, but also wishing that a miracle would occur and Edward would appear. Mike looked satisfied. Will you ride in my car? It's that old Lee's mum's minivan. Sure. He smiled blissfully. It was so easy to make Mike happy. You can have shotgun, he promised. I hid my chagrin. It wasn't as simple to make Mike and Jessica happy at the same time. I could see Jessica 
glowering at us now. The numbers worked out in my favor, though. Lee brought two extra people. Suddenly, every seat was necessary. I managed to wedge Jess in between Mike and me in the front seat of the Suburban. Mike could have been more graceful about it, but at least Jess seemed appeased. It was only fifteen miles to the push from Forks, with gorgeous, dense green forests edging the road most of the way, and the wide river snaking beneath it twice. I was glad I had the window seat. We'd rolled the windows down. The Suburban was a bit claustrophobic with nine people in it, and I tried to absorb as much sunlight as possible. I'd been to the beaches around the push many times during my Forks summers with Charlie so the mile-long crescent of first beach was familiar to me. It was still breathtaking. The water was dark grey, even in the sunlight, white-capped and heaving to the grey rocky shore. Islands rose out of the steel harbour waters with sheer cliff sides reaching to uneven summits and crowned with austere soaring firs. The beach had only a thin border of actual sand at the water's edge, after which it grew into millions of large, smooth stones that looked uniformly grey from a distance, but close up were every shade a stone could be. Terracotta, sea-green, lavender, blue-grey, dull gold. The tide line was strewn with huge driftwood trees, bleached bone-white in salt waves. Some piled together against the edge of the forest fringe, some lying solitary, just out of reach of the waves. There was a brisk wind coming off the waves, cool and briny. Pelicans floated on the swells while seagulls and a lone eagle wheeled above them. The clouds still circled the sky, threatening to invade at any moment. But for now, the sun shone bravely in its halo of blue sky. We picked our way down to the beach, Mike leading the way to a ring of driftwood logs that had obviously been used for parties like ours before. There was a fire circle, already in place, filled with black ashes. Eric and the boy I thought was named Ben gathered broken branches of driftwood from the drier piles against the forest edge. Soon, we had a teepee-shaped construction built atop the old cinders. Have you ever seen a driftwood fire? Mike asked me. I was sitting on one of the bone-colored benches. The other girls clustered, gossiping excitedly on either side of me. Mike kneeled by the fire, lighting one of the smaller sticks with a cigarette lighter. No, I said as he placed the blazing twig carefully against the teepee. You'll like this, then. Watch the colors. He lit another small branch and laid it alongside the first. The flames started to lick quickly up the dry wood. It's blue, I said in surprise. The salt does it. Pretty, isn't it? He lit one more piece, placed it where the fire hadn't yet caught, and then came to sit by me. Thankfully, Jess was on his other side. She turned to him and claimed his attention. I watched the strange blue and green flames crackle towards the sky. After a half hour of chatter... Some of the boys wanted to hike to the nearby tidal pools. It was a dilemma. On the one hand, I loved the tide pools. They had fascinated me since I was a child. They were one of the only things I ever looked forward to when I had to come to Forks. On the other hand, I'd also fallen into them a lot. Not a big deal when you're seven and with your dad. It reminded me of Edward's request that I not fall into the ocean. Lauren was the one who made my decision for me. She didn't want to hike, and she was definitely wearing the wrong shoes for it. Most of the other girls besides Angela and Jessica decided to stay on the beach. I waited until Tyler and Eric had committed to remaining with them before I got up quietly to join the pro-hiking group. Mike gave me a huge smile when he saw I was coming. The hike wasn't too long, though I hated to lose the sky in the woods. The green light of the forest was strangely at odds with the adolescent laughter, too murky and ominous to be in harmony with the light banter around me. 
I had to watch each step I took very carefully, avoiding roots below and branches above, and I soon fell behind. Eventually I broke through the emerald confines of the forest and found the rocky shore again. It was low tide, and a tidal river flowed past us on its way to the sea. Along its pebbled banks, shallow pools that never completely drained were teeming with life. I was very cautious not to lean too far over the little ocean ponds. The others were fearless, leaping over the rocks and perching precariously on the edges. I found a very stable-looking rock on the fringe of one of the largest pools and sat there cautiously, spellbound by the natural aquarium below me. The bouquets of brilliant anemones undulated ceaselessly in invisible current. Twisted seashells scurried about the edges, obscuring the crabs within them. Starfish stuck motionless to the rocks and each other, while one small back eel with white racing stripes wove through the bright green weeds, waiting for the sea to return. I was completely absorbed, except for one small part of my mind that wondered what Edward was doing now, trying to imagine what he would be saying if he were here with me. Finally, the boys were hungry, and I got up stiffly to follow them back. I tried to keep up better this time through the woods, so naturally I fell a few times. The knees of my jeans were stained green, but it could have been worse. When we got back to First Beach, the group we'd left behind had multiplied. As we got closer, we could see the shining straight black hair and copper skin of the newcomers. Teenagers from the reservation come to socialize. The food was already being passed around, and the boys hurried to claim a share, while Eric introduced us as we each entered the Driftwood Circle. Angela and I were last to arrive, and as Eric said our names, I noticed a younger boy sitting on the stones near the fire glance up at me in interest. I sat down next to Angela, and Mike brought us sandwiches and an array of sodas to choose from, while a boy who looked to be the oldest of the visitors rattled off the names of the seven others with him. All I caught was that one of the girls was also named Jessica, and the boy who noticed me was named Jacob. It was relaxing to sit with Angela. She was a restful kind of person to be around. She didn't feel the need to fill every silence with chatter. She left me free to think undisturbed while we ate, and I was thinking about how disjointedly time seemed to flow in forks, passing in a blur at times, with single images standing out more clearly than others. And then, at other times, every second was significant, etched in my mind. I knew exactly what caused the difference, and it disturbed me. During lunch, the clouds started to advance, slinking across the blue sky, darting in front of the sun momentarily, casting long shadows across the beach and blackening the waves. As they finished eating, people started to drift away in twos and threes. Some walked down to the edge of the waves, trying to skip rocks across the choppy surface. Others were gathering a second expedition to the tide pools, Mike, with Jessica shadowing him, headed up to the one shop in the village. Some of the local kids went with them. Others went along on the hike. By the time they had all scattered, I was sitting alone on my driftwood log, with Lauren and Tyler occupying themselves by the CD player someone had thought to bring. Three teenagers from the reservation perched around the circle, including the boy named Jacob, and the oldest boy, who had acted as spokesperson. A few minutes after Angela left with the hikers, Jacob sauntered over to take her place by my side. He looked fourteen, maybe fifteen, and had long, glossy black hair pulled back with a rubber band at the nape of his neck. 
His skin was beautiful, silky, russet-colored. His eyes were dark, set deep above the high planes of his cheekbones. He still had just a hint of childish roundness left around his chin. Altogether a very pretty face. However, my positive opinion of his looks was damaged by the first words out of his mouth. You're Isabella Swan, aren't you? It was like the first day of school all over again. Bella, I sighed. I'm Jacob Black. He held his hand out in a friendly gesture. He bought my dad's truck. Oh, I said, relieved, shaking his sleek hand. You're Billy's son. I probably should remember you. No, I'm the youngest of the family. You would remember my older sisters. Rachel and Rebecca, I suddenly recalled. Charlie and Billy had thrown us together a lot during my visits, to keep us busy while they fished. We were all too shy to make much progress as friends. Of course, I'd kicked up enough tantrums to end the fishing trips by the time I was eleven. Are they here? I examined the girls at the ocean's edge, wondering if I would recognize them now. No, Jacob shook his head. Rachel got a scholarship to Washington State, and Rebecca married a Samoan surfer. She lives in Hawaii now. Married? Wow. I was stunned. The twins were only a little over a year older than I was. So how do you like the truck? he asked. I love it. Runs great. Yeah, but it's really slow. He laughed. I was so relieved when Charlie bought it. My dad wouldn't let me work on building another car when we had a perfectly good vehicle right there. It's not that slow, I objected. Have you tried to go over 60? No, I admitted. Good. Don't. He grinned. I couldn't help grinning back. It does great in a collision, I offered in my truck's defense. I don't think a tank could take out that old monster, he agreed with another laugh. So you build cars? I asked, impressed. When I have free time, and parts, you wouldn't happen to know where I could get my hands on a master cylinder for a 1986 Volkswagen Rabbit, he added jokingly. He had a pleasant, husky voice. Sorry, I laughed. I haven't seen any lately, but I'll keep my eyes open for you. As if I knew what that was. He was very easy to talk with. He flashed a brilliant smile, looking at me appreciatively in a way that I was learning to recognize. I wasn't the only one who noticed. You know Bella, Jacob? Lauren asked in what I imagined was an insolent tone from across the fire. We've sort of known each other since I was born, he laughed, smiling at me again. How nice. She didn't sound like she thought it was nice at all. Her pale, fishy eyes narrowed. Bella, she called again, watching my face carefully. I was just saying to Tyler that it was too bad none of the Cullens could come out today. Didn't anyone think to invite them? Her expression of concern was unconvincing. You mean Dr. Carlisle Cullen's family? The tall, older boy asked before I could respond, much to Lauren's irritation. He was really closer to a man than a boy. His voice was very deep. Yes. Do you know them? She asked condescendingly, turning halfway towards him. The Collins don't come here, he said, in a tone that closed the subject, ignoring her question. Tyler, trying to win back her attention, asked Lauren's opinion on a CD he held. She was distracted. I stared at the deep-voiced boy, taken aback. But he was looking away, toward the dark forest behind us. He'd said that the Collins didn't come here, but his tone had implied something more that they weren't allowed. They were prohibited. His manner left a strange impression on me, and I tried to ignore it without success. Jacob interrupted my meditation. So is Fawkes driving you insane yet? Oh, I'd say that is an understatement, 
I grimaced. He grinned, understandingly. I was still turning over the brief comment on the Cullens when I had a sudden inspiration. It was a stupid plan, but I didn't have any better ideas. I hoped that young Jacob was as yet inexperienced around girls, so that he wouldn't see through my sure-to-be-pitiful attempts at flirting. Do you want to walk down the beach with me? I asked, trying to imitate the way that Edward had of looking up from underneath his eyelashes. It couldn't have nearly the same effect, I was sure, but Jacob jumped up willingly enough. As we walked north across the multi-hued stones towards the driftwood seawall, the clouds finally closed ranks across the sky, causing the sea to darken and the temperature to drop. I shoved my hands deep into the pockets of my jacket. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. I hope that you enjoyed this reading. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you and good night.